the message today is titled when people are hostile when people are hostile today of course is the first sunday in the uk right in the new united kingdom uh, our turbulent marriage with the uh, eu has ended so it seems uh, it is of course a divorce uh, many europeans never wanted the eu after all was set up to bring nations closer that's the big idea behind the european union it was created uh, in the aftermath of the the great wars uh, it was intended to end the frequent wars between nations in other words the key reason the eu exists is that there is an innate desire in all human beings to live peacefully with one another. We may not agree about what it means to live peacefully among nation states, uh, but all of us agree, isn't it, that a good world is one where people get along. And yet here we are with Brexit, uh, and Brexit of course therefore reminds us that human beings uh, find it very difficult, find it very difficult to live together. We live in a world where human relationships are always fractured in some way. Think about your life in 2020. I am guessing most of us here fell out with a family member, with a friend perhaps, or a classmate, or a colleague at work, or a stranger even. That's common, isn't it? On the roads, right? Or even when you're shopping, bumping into each other with those masks. That kind of easy to fall out. And of course, I'm guessing some of us fell out with Boris Johnson, right? We fell out with the government. It's easy to fall out. And, you know, I, I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet. Uh, but I'm 100% sure someone will upset you this year. And you are most likely going to upset someone. If it has not happened already. Why do we find it so hard to get along? Well, I think because everyone is different. And we all have different priorities in life. Uh, in fact, that diversity itself is a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. The problem is that our diversity also makes us clash with one another on so many things. The very thing that's beautiful about us makes it harder for us to get along. You see, what our diversity needs is a unifying center to bring our unity out of diversity. And the only person powerful enough to do that is God, our maker, who created us. Only he can bring unity out of diversity. But of course, if you know your Bible, you know that we rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden. Ever since Cain killed Abel, we have been pursuing peace and war in parallel. We live in a world of relational conflict. We live in a world where people are hostile to one another. And here's the key point I want you to think about this morning. Because people are at war against God, they've rebelled against him, the biggest disunity in the world today is between those who love God and those who hate God. You see, the world only has two cities. The city of God, God's people, those who trust in Jesus, and the city of man, what Augustine called the city of the damned, right? Those who oppose God. 
And these two cities are always at war. You might call it Zion versus Athens. I don't know, right? But these two cities are always at war. And there will always be a war until Jesus comes again to make all things new. Right? So over the next few months, this year, I, I want us to address this question. How should we, as followers of Jesus, live in a world hostile to God? And I believe the answer to that question is found in the collection of Psalms we'll begin to look at this morning. The Psalms of Ascent. And these Psalms start from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. Now a Psalm is a song, isn't it? Or a poem. And the word Ascent means what? Going up, right? So the Psalms of Ascent are Old Testament songs which the Jewish pilgrim sang as they went up to Jerusalem. You know, Jerusalem is at least 2,500 above sea, sea level, right? So, um, feet, 2,500 feet above sea level. So you can imagine their ascent, isn't it? From wherever they were coming from, right? They would sing these songs, first of all, before Israel went into exile. So some of the Psalms of Ascent actually one of them is written by couple are written by David there. They were sung before they went into for an exile in Babylon. The pilgrims would have sung this right as they went to the three annual feasts in Jerusalem. These psalms, of course, were also sung by those who returned from their captivity in Babylon as they went up to Jerusalem, right? People like Ezra and Nehemiah. And as we read, and I encourage you to keep reading these psalms together as often as possible, and, and maybe join me in memorizing them as, I, as I'm doing. Right? And what you discover as you memorize these psalms, as you read them, and as you begin to pray them, yeah, that's what you should be doing. So you can use this psalm this week to pray for the, during this week. You can do that. It's a great thing to do. What you're going to discover is that the common theme of, the, of these songs is that the people of God loved God and the city of God's Zion. And they did that in the middle of facing hostility from the world. And so we're going to look at these, I think, around 20 messages. And we're going to go through all of these things. And we're going to see what they teach us, these Psalms, about living for God in a hostile world. Today we're in Psalm 120. And before we look at this psalm in more detail, let us just come to God and ask for his help uh, through prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, song, the songs of ascent. Uh, we thank you for these psalms. We recognize, Lord, that we need your help to begin to understand them and apply them to our lives. Lord, we realize that we could spend sermons on sermons just on Psalm 120. We realize it's got so much to teach us about who we are, the world we live in, and the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we just pray that you would help us this morning to uh, learn what you want us to learn today. And we pray that, Lord, uh, you would uh, keep me from error. We pray that the truth that I speak from your word uh, would not only speak to my brothers and sisters about their need for grace in Christ, but also speak to me, Lord, about my need uh, for the Lord Jesus. And my need, Lord, to live trusting you in a world hostile to God. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. So, if you have your Bibles there open at Psalm 120, you will see that this um, short psalm, as I said, introduces us to the theme of the series, Living for God in a Hostile World. And the outline that you have should help you see where we are going with this. Today we are focusing on personal hostility that the people of God faced in the world. And the first truth, as we look at this Psalm 120, the first truth I want us to see is that the world is hostile to the people of God. That's the first truth we learn in this Psalm. The world is hostile to the people of God. All people of God live in a world that is actively working against our life in Jesus. The world is busy making our journey to heaven hazardous, right? Now, the person who belong, who wrote Psalm 120 belonged to the people of God in the Old Testament. And in this psalm, is remembering how he faced hostility in his life. Look at verse 1 there. In verse 1, he says, he was once in distress and God rescued him. In my distress, I called to the Lord, he says, and he answered me. In verse 2 to verse 6, he's actually taking us down the memory lane to show us how bad things were and what God answered him from. So verse 1 tells us God answered him, and verse 2 to 6 shows us what the issue was about that God dealt with in his life. And as we watch the video replay of his life, one of the things that stands out is that this man was treated shamefully by people around him. Look at verse 5. He says in verse 5, What to me? That's how he prayed to God. What to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedah. Now the places he mentions here, Meshach and Kedah, were pagan territories around Israel. The places actually are quite far apart from each other, right? So in my view, it's unlikely that the man actually lived there. I think he's most likely using these places as figure of speech. We have to remember the Psalms are songs, they are poems as well. And he, therefore he's using poetic language to say, look, I felt boxed in. I was powerless against those who hated me. I felt like a stranger or exile in my own life. It's like I was really living in Meshach and Kedah. I'm among those people, but I feel surrounded by those who do not know God. And living among these people who did not know God, in the land of God, we might say, robbed him of peace. Look at verse 6. Yeah, right, enough of it. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. He wanted peace with them, but they took it as a sign of weakness. When he gave them gifts, they threw it back in his face. You see, at first, all they did was drag his name through the mud. That's all they did. They did that to anyone who listened. But eventually, it seems things escalated. They grabbed their weapons of war to take him out. They wanted him buried six feet under, we might say. Verse 6, insert that. I am for peace, he prayed to God. But when I speak... They are for war. They are for killing me. They are for taking me out. Now immediately as we think about this psalm, we realize that we don't know when this happened. It just says 
some of ascent, right? Or which person in Israel particularly went through the suffering recorded here? It could be anyone. We can see David going through this in his life, isn't it? He faced slander and even physical violence from Saul and others. And we remember David lived a roller coaster life. We can think of the Amos and the prophets who, and other prophets who went through terrible treatment. Jeremiah, think of Jeremiah and what he went through. He could have prayed this prayer, couldn't he? I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Literally, for Jeremiah, that was his experience. The great man, Nehemiah, many things, many think wrote this particular psalm. Nehemiah experienced this sort of hostility, isn't it? We can imagine Tobias and Sambalat as those who wanted war. When he was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, Nehemiah, he faced this kind of severe opposition. You see, throughout the Old Testament, people of God faced a lot of opposition in their lives from people around them. And I think this is the key point of his psalm, isn't it? All who belong to God experience personal hostility from people around us. And this struggle in our lives, this hostility in our lives comes to us in two ways, I think. First of all, all of us experience hostility from people simply because we happen to be a human being they do not like. It's nothing to do with your faith. You're just, you're just, oops, you are just one among many, right? That's all right. You're just one among many, right, uh, of people that they, um, they, do not, they do not like, right, for whatever reason. So you have a misunderstanding with a friend, right? Throughout the process, you have tried to pour oil, as I say, over troubled waters. You have tried to appease them. You have tried to reach out to them, right? And now mud is being thrown at you, right? Someone is working that WhatsApp at night. They say you are prideful, you are insecure, you are selfish, you only care about yourself. And of course, maybe 1% of it is true. In fact, 1% of it is true. Because all of us here are sinners. Right? So there's some truth always in the accusations we get. Because we are, how can we not be sinners? How can, there's no part of you. Somebody says you're selfish. Of course there's a part of you that's selfish. You know that already. Right? But the bottom line is... What they are saying is slander, isn't it? Because 99% of it is total fabrication. It is just intended to get you mad. We all experience that. Human on human, hostility, mistreatment. That's the first kind. And in 2021, 2020, I'm sure you experienced it in some way. But those of us who are also in, who are in Jesus also experience a second form of relational conflict. And it is the relational conflict as a result of our faith in Jesus. Some people oppose us because they do not share your faith in Jesus. And if you have been a Christian for a while, for more than a month, right? You have already experienced this in different ways. Being in Christ brings other opposition. A neighbor who gives you a wonderful British respect so they don't say anything, but they just walk on the other side of the road because they know that you go to church, right? <laughs> they don't like to hear about Jesus or anything else like that. So they just give you a bit of a distant, good, respectful uh, treatment. But they're opposing you 
in that sense. Your relationship this year with a friend may become strained in 2021 because you have decided to love Jesus more. And people in your, in your life will be uncomfortable with that. Your relationship with your daughter or your son may break down because you are rightly reminding your daughter that they must repent and trust in Jesus alone. And that's hard in the home, isn't it? Parents, you know what I'm talking about. You're going to experience that in 2021. Spouses who are trying to raise their kids in a biblical way will struggle with their husbands or their wives if their husbands or their wives do not share um, their trust in Jesus. So we have that sort of relational conflict. And in a wider sense, if you're sharing the gospel, you're out in the Broadway, or you're just trying to come to church, you will be opposing somewhere, even by the government. And we'll come to that in future Psalms, I'm sure. The point I'm making is this. Whether the fractured relationship is because of personality differences or it is because of your faith in Jesus, it still hurts. It still makes us feel alone and distressed, doesn't it? And this psalm is reminding us that the pain of broken relationship is real in the fallen world. It is normal. It is encouraging us. It's saying we are not weak Christians because we feel distressed about what someone said about us. We are not weak Christians because we feel uh, uh, broken by our name being dragged in the mud or, or, or people avoiding us because we trust in Jesus. It is normal for us to experience that. It's normal for us to be distressed by it. And this psalm, therefore, is written to remind us of that. It is also written to comfort us that the pain we feel matters to God. The broken trust, the betrayal we've suffered, God sees that. God is not blind, beloved, to the terrible treatment or the cold shoulder you've received from people around you in 2020. No, he understands. And he's put it in black and white as it were, so that you know that he understands. Most importantly, this psalmist is telling us, isn't it? Don't be surprised when you have a broken or hostile relationship in 2021. It is part of life in a fallen world. If you like, Psalm 120 is challenging us to be realistic, to start this year as realistic Christians who are not taken by surprise because we know the world is hostile to God and it is hostile to his people. At the same time, this Psalm is also encouraging us to be hopeful Christians because God is preserving his people in the middle of hostility. And that is the second truth we see in this psalm. So truth number one, you, you've seen there that the world is hostile to the people of God. And truth number two, the good news, God preserves his people against hostility. God preserves his people against hostility. When we face hostility in our lives, it can feel like God is a bystander, isn't it, in our lives. It can feel like God is just twiddling his thumbs while we suffer endlessly. We can feel like that. But Psalm 120 assures us that God is always with us in our distress, whatever distress we are facing. 
Not just relational distress, whatever distress we are facing. You see, when the psalmist sent out a distress call to God, he got the help he needed. Look at this one again. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. The creator of the heavens reached out to me, a mere creature. And what did the psalmist pray to God? Well, he asked God to save him from his enemies who wanted to take his life out. Look at verse 3 to 4. He's praying to God and he's addressing, he's mentioning the problem he first in verse 3 to 4. What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? He, he was lied about. Verse 4. A warrior sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Now, this bit of the psalm is called an imprecatory prayer. Uh, it is a prayer for God to rain down justice on the enemies of God's people, uh, who are, of course, the enemies of God. Now, we'll say more about these prayers as we go through the series, so don't just get excited about them just now. <laughs> Leave them until we go through the series, right? Because uh, there's more to be learned about these prayers. The point I just wanted you to notice just now about this is that God answered this prayer. That's just the marker down, right? God answered this prayer for justice. Because he says in verse 1, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. And verse 2 to 6 is what God answered. It relates to matters that God answered him about. Right? His enemies wanted to kill him, but God preserved his life. The question is, why did God preserve his life? Well, the answer is in verse 1 to verse 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord, Yahweh, and he answered me, Deliver me, O Yahweh, from lying lips, from a deceitful time. The key word there is Lord, which is used twice. And notice it's in capital letters. Because this is the name of the Lord God of Israel. He is Yahweh, the faithful and covenant Lord of Israel. The psalmist, if you like, is saying to us that Though God can protect anyone, he only guarantees help to those who are in a covenant relationship with him. The USA government has the military might to protect anyone on earth from a military attack as far as they are able to, humanly speaking. But its power, the American power, is only guaranteed for Americans. In the same way, God only guarantees protection to those he has graciously bound himself to in covenant, his chosen people. And the good news of this psalm is that the God of Israel has come in the person of Jesus, our Lord, to establish a new covenant with us. Jesus, the, Jesus the name Jesus really means Yahweh saves. The God of the Old Testament is the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says this, doesn't it? Long ago at many times and in many places, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
after making purification for sins, is sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Beloved, if you're trusting in Jesus this morning, you are now part of the new people of God. The God of Psalm 120 is King Jesus. And he's keeping you for himself in 2021. God preserves us against our enemies. Now sometimes God keeps his people by physically defeating the source of trouble in our life. Right? That's what God did for the author of Psalm 120. And sometimes God keeps his people through their hostility. It's like a shield that protects them through the trouble. He allows us to experience the suffering in order to grow our spiritual bond with him. Just as a marriage that experiences hardship is stronger than a marriage without any trouble, beloved, those of us who are married, let us thank God for the troubles, right? Just as a marriage that experiences hardship is stronger than a marriage without any trouble, our marriage to the Lord Jesus Christ, our marriage to him, is strengthened, if you like, by the suffering we experience in our relationship with the Lord. The suffering, if you like, binds us tighter to our God. And most importantly, whatever relation distress we suffer as followers of Jesus, it can never shipwreck our spiritual life with God. Do you remember the words of 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 to 12? Paul writing to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 to 12, he says this, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Suffering is what binds us, Paul is saying, even closer to our life with God. Verse 11, he goes on to say, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. The bottom line is this. God is preserving us. And any problem God allows in your life in 2021 is for your good. Whatever that is. It is an opportunity for us to deepen our life with God. And the wonderful news of the gospel is that God, by his Holy Spirit doesn't practice social distancing. He's holding you close to himself in Jesus. Jesus, God always has his omnipotent arms wrapped around you in love. And our responsibility, beloved, as children of God sat here this morning, is to trust him. We must trust this God of Psalm 120. How do we do this in practice? How do we trust him, especially when relationships fail us? When, 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 when people are hostile to us as individuals? Well, we must follow the example of the psalmist, isn't it? And this is the third and final truth. We must actively trust God to preserve us. So truth number one, the world is hostile to the people of God. Truth number two, God 
preserves his people against hostility. So how should we respond to God's preserving power? Well, we must actively trust God to preserve us. You see, the Psalms are in our Bibles to teach us how we live out our trust in God in practice. If you like the Psalms, they are there to take the truth in our head to our arms, legs, and feet. They get us to do the trusting. The Psalms are not essentially... They are theology, but they are more than that. That's why they are songs. They are things to do. They are things to practice. They are there to get us to actively and practically trust in Jesus our God. How should you you trust God? Go to the Psalms. So here, as we look at this Psalm, there are three things I just want to leave with you this morning. That this Psalm is teaching us how we do the do, right? What we must do when we find ourselves in a broken or hostile relationship in 2020. The overriding theme of the psalm, of course, is that we must pray, right? We must pray, right? We must sing out. (laughs) We must sing to God. Pray or sing, whichever, right? The truth of God, right? But the three truths that sit underneath that are these, the three things we need to think about. First of all, take your problem to God. When trouble comes in your life, when people are hostile, whatever you're going to face this year, whatever distress, the first thing you must do is take your problem to God. That's verse 1. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. When the psalmist had a problem in his relationships, he reached out to God first. Do you notice what it does not say in this psalm? The psalmist does not say, in my distress, I went to Facebook, if they are their own version, right? He doesn't say, in my distress, I went to Twitter. He doesn't say, in my distress, I started sulking, became inward. He doesn't even say, in my distress, I went to the pastor. He doesn't say that. It's good to do that, of course, we are here to support one another, but that's not the point. That's not the beginning of the point. He doesn't even, because he doesn't even say, in my distress, I relied on a friend for help, or the church. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I turned to God first. I took my pain and added to the God who is present in my distress. And so I have to ask you this morning, what relational difficulty are you facing at the moment as you enter 2021? Which person are you not on best terms with? Even as you look back to 2020, they are still troubling your mind at the moment as you enter this year. Well, listen to the word of the psalm. In my distress, I called to the Lord. Call to the Lord. Take the problem to him. And do the same with any other problem you have. God must be your first port of call and your only port of call. And it's God to direct you where you get sources of help. We as Christians, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, don't we? That you have immediate access to the throne of grace through the blood of Jesus. So exercise that. Go to him. Give God your pain. And can I just say, you must take delight in handing God your distress. Oh, beloved, is it not remarkable that you, a mere creature, 
has a direct line to the God of the universe. I mean, if I told you when I have a problem, I always pick up the phone and call President Trump. If I told you that, <laughs> would you not all come and see me afterwards, right? <laughs> You'd be queuing up, wouldn't you, right? You'd be like, Chola, forget about social distancing. I mean, what's been going on? You haven't told us about this, right? We want to know, how is it that you can talk to Trump, right? You'd want to know how I kept that miracle to myself. Because you say you don't look like you don't Trump. We have to be honest, right? Why would we get excited about that? Because we all want access to power of people, don't we? And beloved, beloved, God is infinitely greater than all the world leaders in history put together. Our God is the undisputed eternal king. He knows all things. He sees all things. He understands all things. And he can do whatever he pleases. God is infinitely greater than all of us. And yet, listen to me. He says to you, his beloved in Christ, through the prophet Jeremiah, call to me and I will answer you. Jeremiah 33 verse 3. I mean, that's what he says. Call to me and I will answer you. So why wait? Take your problem to God right away, right now. For some of you, the sermon will just end here. You just pray quietly and if you ignore me for the rest, that's fine. Talk to God. That's the most important thing. So the first thing we must do is we must take your problem to God. The second quick thing we must do is you must trust God to vindicate you. Trust God to vindicate you. Look at verse 2 to 4 there. The psalmist says, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. The words of the psalmist here, as I said, are shocking, aren't they? But what we must remember what he's doing is he's praying to God to give him justice. When people are mad at you or hostile to you, you need to do the same. You must avoid the temptation to take matters in your own hands. Now, there are ways in which we prayed some of these prayers. But the important point is that we must let God vindicate us. When you feel attacked, ask God to help you be like Jesus. Who, when he was insulted, when he was rejected, he rejected the temptation to insult or slander. That's what Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 2. Christ entrusted himself to God who acts justly. And if you're a child of God, you must do the same. You must reject the temptation to insult back. Reject the temptation to slander back. Beloved, reject the temptation to gossip back when you're gossiped about. It's hard, but you have Jesus to help you. Ask God to help you resist pressure to force those who wrong you to apologize. This is my biggest weakness. When somebody offends me, I want them to know that. <laughs> and I want them to acknowledge that. I want them to apologize for that. I just say, I learned it in the UK, right? This is a British thing, you know, politeness. You treat people good, right? But no, beloved. When people defame us in some way, we must ask God's help to resist the temptation, to force them in some way to apologize to us. 
We must ask God to work in their lives themselves. So they come to that position of seeing the heinousness of their sin that they've committed against us. Our job is to extend forgiveness and love. And of course, in all of that process, we must ask God to do for us what we struggle with most, isn't it? To avoid the temptation to justify ourselves. And I, I, I can just be honest with you guys, as, as a pastor, this is the hard thing I struggle with. Because I've got a thousand answers to a thousand accusations that I may face as an individual. And it's, it's so tempting to say, no, that's not true. Right? That's not true, right? Of course, you should say what's, what's not true. But we are so tempted to justify ourselves. And we have to keep coming back to the gospel, don't we? That God in Jesus has already justified us. He has already declared us. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't need to run a campaign to clear our name. God is our justifier. Let God vindicate you. And he'll do it, won't we? If he doesn't do it in this life, he will do it on that great day. So take your problem to God. Trust God to vindicate you. And finally, keep seeking peace. Actively seeking peace. That's what we see in verse 6 to 7, isn't it? Notice what he said, or oh, you prayed to God, Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. What you may not realize as you read this passage is that when he says there, I am for peace, literally the words in the original Hebrew language is, I peace. Just that. I shalom. I am shalom, he might even say. In short, in all his being, he pursues peace. There's something about Jesus in this man, isn't it? But we'll leave that in a minute. We'll come back to that in the future. But what he's saying is that he pursues peace. He speaks peace. This is a prayer the Lord Jesus, of course, may have prayed in his life. This man is very Christ-like. He stands for peace. You get the sense that he even fights for peace. He's a man of peace. He is I shalom. He's, a, we might say, he's some of the prince of peace there, isn't there? He does not just wait for God to vindicate him. He's actively looking for God, looking to God to, to help seek peace with those who want, it, who want him dead. Because remember, that's a prayer he prayed. He says to God, I'm for peace, Lord. I want peace with these people. But when I speak to them, therefore... I am a man of peace, Lord. I want peace with them. In some sense, he's praying for peace with them. So don't just read verse 3 to 4 without reading verse 7. Incidentally, by the way, as we think about this interesting point, isn't it? Seeking justice, which is 6 for in verse 3 to 4, is not at odds with seeking peace for, for my enemies. The two are not opposed. We can seek justice and we can seek peace at the same time. Because God is the God of justice, at the same time, He's the God of peace. He's the God of wrath, and He's the God of grace. But we'll come back to that. There's a lot we'll come back to, right? So you just have to trust me on it. The question is how could this man pursue peace with his enemies? Because he had a relationship with the God of peace, the God who has come to us in Jesus. In 2021, we must pursue peace energetically. We must not just be passive. Asking God to vindicate us is a passive position. Actively pursuing peace is an active position, isn't it? 
We must pursue peace with those who hate us because Jesus is our Prince of Peace. And the God, God the Spirit is producing the fruit of peace in us. Now, we need wisdom on how we pursue peace with those who want to kill us. Right? Want to take us out or who don't like us. You know, in some way, we're hostile to us. But our posture must be to ask the Lord to help us not just to accept that he's in charge, but to enable us to pursue peace with others. In some way, to enable us to be a dormant for the gospel. So when you ask God to vindicate you, ask God to help you be a person of peace. Ask God to help you to seek peace with those who wrong you. And of course, brothers and sisters in the church are there to support you, to think about those issues and point you to scriptures. Now you can do that wisely, right? But as we begin a new year, God is encouraging us, isn't it, with this psalm, to trust him when relationships fail or when people are hostile to us. And we grow in trusting God by how? By the example of the psalmist. Take your problem to God. Let God vindicate you and ask God to enable you to seek peace. Amen.